Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. M.K. Todd began, as many of us do, researching her family history, her grandfather's involvement in two world wars. But unlike many of us, she discovered herself as an author along the way and now has three historic novels published and more coming. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Mary Todd tells us how a computer specialist developed a passion for writing stories that unraveled the secrets of love and war. But before we hear from Mary, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode are available at the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Mary's website and books, a total transcript of this episode, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out in the future. But now, here's Mary. Hello there, Mary, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much, Jenny. I've been looking forward to this for weeks, so um, I'm really thrilled to be here. And it's lovely to call you Mary. I mean, perhaps we ought to really clear up right at the beginning. Your writing name is M.K. Todd, but obviously it's nicer to be able to talk to Mary than M.K. Why did you choose to write under the name of M.K. Todd? Oh, boy, am I ever glad you asked that one. Um, Here in North America... There's a very famous woman whose name is Mary Todd Lincoln. So that was um, President Lincoln's wife. Um, And when you are in Google and you uh, type in Mary Todd, first of all, it corrects my name, adds a second D, and then finds several million references to Mary Todd Lincoln. So when I decided that I was going to write uh, seriously and try and get my books out there, I thought, well, it would be a good idea to have a name that people could type in and not be given so many references to Mary Todd Lincoln. So I took my first two, uh, my initials, Mary Kathleen, M.K., and combined it with Todd, and now people can find me. Oh, that's great. Yes, Todd with just one D is slightly unusual, isn't it, Um, in itself? It is. You know, my husband's family, it's my husband's family's name, and they always said, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for Todd. (laughs) Oh, well, that's great. Well, we've settled that one. That's wonderful. I I wasn't sure if it was that, that thing of, seeking a gender neutral name but the sort of books you write uh often people write get gender neutral names when they're writing thrillers but the sort of books you write are are books that are would you'd expect a woman to write them so I didn't think that was probably the reason so it's good to clear that up okay so let's get on the road here was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction, and what was the catalyst for it? Well, now, that is a once upon a time moment. Yes, there was a once upon a time moment, and unlike a lot of people, I wasn't one of these ones who said, always, 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 I've wanted to write. 
Um, in fact, I worked for quite a number of years in the technology world and the consulting field. I'm a math and computer science graduate. I didn't do much English past high school, and I wasn't very fond of history. So let's put that down there. It tells people right away that I'm not your normal, average, everyday writer. However, my husband and I, my husband in particular, was asked to go to Hong Kong for three years. Uh, his company asked him to do that. And we hardly hesitated for a moment. And off we went to Hong Kong. The problem with Hong Kong, uh, for me anyway, was that it was almost impossible to find a job. Um, Hong Kong was having quite a bit of economic difficulties and uh, expat wives were not encouraged. Uh, in fact, it was quite difficult to, to get jobs as an expat spouse, shall we say. So I, I didn't have much to do. Um, and, you know, you can walk the streets and go for lunch and have your nails done and do some shopping. But for somebody who's worked her whole life, it's, it's, it was really challenging to figure out what on earth I would do. And um, I can remember spending a lot of time on my laptop, you know, sending emails to friends and this and that, trying to stay connected. So I conceived the idea of writing a story about my grandmother. That's how it started. I thought, well, this will keep me amused. And um, my grandmother, the reason I wanted to write a story about my grandmother, I hope I'm not babbling too much, Jenny. No, no, it's um, great. Okay, the reason I wanted to talk about my grandma or write about my grandmother is that she died on the way to her second wedding. And I thought, oh, wouldn't that make a great ending for a story? And so she was 75 at the time. And of course, it was extremely um, sad and, and all that sort, to say nothing of the poor 80-year-old man who was left at the uh, altar um, because she was literally in the car on the way to the wedding. So, so what I did was I started to research. And when you research the lives of your grandparents, in my particular case, I went back to World War One because my grandfather at the age of 19 went off to war in France. Um, at the age of 19, it's pretty shocking when you think about it. Um, I, and so I started researching World War One, and then I became obsessed with World War One. I. I just couldn't believe what people had lived through, particularly the men who were fighting in the trenches. Uh, it makes me like emotional to talk about it, Jenny, but I just kept going at this research, reading novels, reading uh, nonfiction books, um, you know, uh, working my way through Google searches, all sorts of things like that. And then I said, okay, well, I can write this story, but it'll be a different story. It'll be about World War One and the effect it has on people and so on. And, and then to spice it up, I went from there, you know, making it into a more a more interesting story. So that was how I got started. That story about your grandmother, I have never heard of that kind of situation. And although, of course, in real life it's tragic, you can't help laughing at the slightly macabre sort of, um, you know, 
side of it. It's it's quite remarkable. It hasn't actually appeared yet in any of your work, I don't think, has it? But it still would be a great starting point for a story sometime, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, in in fact, I, you know, she doesn't die in the story. She, you know, I, I end the story in 19, oh, hang on a second, 1944, and she's very much alive and so on. But um, so I had the inspiration of their lives for the story itself. Yeah, that's great. Now, when you, it, it turned into three novels and they're, they're sort of loosely linked. They're not a series in the traditional sense in that the first two tell the story of a wartime love affair, one from the point of view of the Canadian soldier and the other from the point of view of the French, his French sweetheart in, in very general terms. And then the third one is slightly more of a mystery. Um, did you, you started out with the idea of a single book and then it just grew or did you start out right at the beginning with the idea of three books? Well, as a matter of fact, um, I started out with, as I said, with the idea of kind of amusing myself. And when my husband and I came back from Hong Kong, back to Toronto, which is our permanent home, um, I went back to consulting. I had been, you know, having a good career in consulting. So I spent the next year and a half um, on some consulting projects, various clients and so on. But I think the thing was that that story was always in the back of my mind, the story which is now called Unraveled. And it just wouldn't let me go. It, it's really quite phenomenal, Jenny, how characters can take over. Um, people talk about, you know, well, my character was speaking to me and so on. Um, you know, and I, I find that I thought that was kind of nonsense, but in fact, it's really true. So, you know, I came back to Toronto, worked for another year and a half, and then I said, nope, I'm throwing away all those consulting files. I'm going to write full time. I spoke to my husband, of course. Um, so I had, I just had the idea of one story. And then what happened was um, people enjoyed the story. And the, the first question they would ask is, well, what happened to Alain? So Alain is the World War I lover of my grandfather. And it was just kind of clear to me that I could tell a different story. And I could tell a story about Alain. Um, and she starts as a 16-year-old woman, or not even a woman, really, girl, um, thrust into the midst of World War I in northern France. And that story goes from there. And then her characters, you know, she and the rest of the characters took over and a, a second story was born. So those were two linked stories. Um, the third story, which is called Time and Regret, um, has a totally different um, origin. Can I tell you about that one as well, Jenny? Totally. Do please. Yes. Okie dokie. Um, so Time and Regret began when my husband and I were having dinner in a French town called Enfleur. So Enfleur is um, across the mouth of the Seine from Le Havre. So you can imagine that in uh, World War I, um, in particular, a lot of the ships from England came into, um, into port at Le Havre. And so we were, we were doing a bit of a tour of World War I monuments and memorials and so on. And um, we had visited Enfleur. And we're in this charming little bistro with a bottle of red wine. And 
um, I pulled out my little tiny notebook that I keep in my purse and I wrote something down. And my husband said, well, what are you writing down? And he's curious, you know. So I said, well, I'm writing uh, an idea for a story. Well, what was the idea for the story? So I said, well, you know, this woman, she's uh, going to follow her grandfather's footsteps um, World War I. She's going to go to France and follow his footsteps and find out more about him. And my husband said, oh, well, he says, you should have a mystery because my husband absolutely loves mysteries. Um, and in fact, I think he 95% of what he reads are mysteries. So we spent the rest of dinner with me, with my notebook, writing things down about how this story would unfold and the mystery that it would involve and, and so on. So that was the story, the third story. It actually has nothing to do with the first two other than it has World War One in it. Yeah, that's right. And how closely did the character in book, that first book, Unraveled, align with your grandfather? Was your grandfather just the starting point or was there quite a bit of his personal uh, character that came through? Y yes, I used his character and I'm, I was fortunate. Um, he passed away when I was about 20, 21, but I used my recollections of him in the story in terms of what kind of man he was, similarly what kind of woman my grandmother was. And I spent a lot of time talking to my mom. Um, my mother is, is still alive at the age of 91. And so when I was writing that story, uh, she was able to give me some great information. Um, it, part of the story includes World War II activities and the things that happened in the World War II section definitely parallel what happened to my grandfather during World War II. And some of the things in World War One, like he was at the Battle for Vimy Ridge in World War One, and he was in the signals, um, the, you know, the people who are responsible for signaling uh, communications and that sort of thing in World War One. So a number of those details are accurate. And then, of course, as I said earlier, you embellish from there, you know. Sure. Now, that World War Two uh, history, that really fascinated me as well, because I had no idea that Canada had trained spies to work within Nazi-held France. That was an aspect of the war that had not really ever crossed my my consciousness. Um, and I'm wondering if it was generally, I, I, I'm sure it wasn't generally known at the time. And was it one of those things that came out in rather later years once the secrecy laws had been relaxed a little bit? Um, good question. So um, the the family story was that my uh, grandfather was involved in this place called Camp X. Uh, and I don't think it was under such severe secrecy rules, I think maybe for 25 years after the end of the war. Um, and so there are a few, in fact, there are a few vestiges of Camp X still standing. Um, and it was located in a small town outside of Toronto, so that's all accurate. Um, there's My grandfather never spoke about it. My mom said he never spoke about the war. Um, and my grandmother would, you know, told my mother that uh, my, my grandfather knew a man whose name is was William Stevenson, and he was with the British Secret Service, and he was instrumental in form, forming Camp X back in the, oh, I think it was 1941. So, 
you know, there was just that little hint that there was truth in the story about my grandfather being involved. And there's a Canadian uh, gentleman, I can't, can't remember exactly his name, and unfortunately I don't have his books with me, but he made it his uh, passion to find out as much about Camp X as he could um, and preserve some of the history of what went on, track down some of the people who had worked there and so on. So there's actually quite a bit written about the, the camp and, and how it came into being and, and so on, which I was able to, um, you know, get hold of. Yeah, that film guru guy, Robert McKee, who does a lot of writing workshops, he's talked about how historical stories need to have something relevant and applicable to contemporary life. And I'm just wondering, how do you see the framing of World War One and World War Two? Because they have become very popular as settings for stories these days. What do you think the fascination is for contemporary readers? Uh, with World War One in particular or World War Two or both? Either one, really. If, if there, Do you see a difference between them? Um, you know, it's interesting. I think um, on, on this side of the world, um, there's more interest in World War II than there is in World War One, And I think that's partly because um, the Americans uh, really celebrate their participation in World War II. Um, so that, that gives more of a sense of involvement and interest in, in World War II. In fact, I've had some um, agents and editors tell me that, you know, if I've got a World War II story, they'd love to hear it, you know. Um, yes. To me, though, um, the, the more I read about World War One and World War Two, the more I find parallels to today, which I, I find quite striking. And I think uh, that it, in your mentioning of this um, fellow Robert McKee, that uh, he was saying that uh, stories should be applicable to contemporary life. And I think that you, you see parallels to um, the, you know, the notion of uh, fighting against um, you know, the, the evil in the world and, and that sort of thing. And I suppose that's always what we think we're doing when, when we embark on war. But there's also the notion of how, how um, unfortunate circumstances can catapult the, us into war. And, you know, we don't really you know, we don't really want to think about that sort of thing, generally speaking. The other thing I think about history is that people are people. So regardless of the time they live in, the social norms and the restrictions of that time may vary, but the humanity of the time doesn't vary. So I think that's one of the big appeals to historical fiction. Sure, sure. Sorry about the phone ringing. I'm not sure yeah. I'll put it away. I was, just, I was just pausing to see if it was going to keep ringing, but thankfully it's stopped, so that's good. <laughs> So perhaps just rounding out this section, talking about specific books, I wonder what do you what do you hope your readers are going to take away from your books? I, I guess there is certainly entertainment, but there is is there a deeper message that you're hoping to get across? Well, I want people to understand that war is just such an inhuman activity. I, I really I really do want them to understand that. And, and that's why I actually do have 
scenes, uh, uh, war scenes in the books. I, I try not to have too much gratuitous violence, but you can't understand war unless you sort of see it and feel it and smell it and that sort of thing. So I do try and, and make it come to life. Um, I, I also um, like the notion that women discover how strong they are when they're faced with challenges and, and the struggles and difficult circumstances, particularly those that involve war, but, but you know, a little more generally than that. Uh, so I, I like to create strong female characters, and I like to have my readers perhaps see something of themselves in those strong characters. Um, and, you know, I think there's another theme that I keep returning to, and that is that Love is, is never a fairy tale. Um, love requires hard work. You know, love to, to survive, you have to, you have to be very deliberate about not just falling in love, but staying in love. So I like to bring that into my stories as well. Yes, I've seen comments about the Unraveled book that they found the evolution of that marriage relationship very touching that it wasn't all um roses but they did manage to find their way through the difficulties well thank you jenny that's definitely what i like to hear <laughs> <laughs> tell me is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that you'd see as being the secret to your success well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for calling me a success, Jenny. That's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Three books, my dear, for starters. That's a success. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, it's always difficult to say what the one thing is. So can you indulge me and maybe I'll tell you three things that I was thinking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is that you have to work at it. Uh, you have to treat writing as a job. So, you know, it's not something that you just sit down and, and dabble at. Um, I really do treat it like a job. I'm at my desk every day and, uh, you know, that usually includes weekends. Um, so that's, that would be one thing. Um, a second thing is I think you need to re listen to your readers. Uh, readers will tell you things, um, whether it's a beta reader or whether it's a, somebody who's put up a review on Amazon. They'll tell you things, and if you listen carefully, um, you can, you know, glean some uh, insights into what would make your your writing stronger. My the third thing that when I was thinking about this question in advance, the third thing is to be part of the community of writers. Uh, I feel that that is. Um, an amazing uh, privilege, actually, that I've discovered in, in the whole, in the last uh, seven or eight or nine years. And to be part of that community because they're very supportive, they're encouraging, um, they, they help out, you know, when you're stuck with something or when you're trying to figure out how to market your book or it's, um, those are three things that I think are quite important. Yeah, that's great. Look, if you were going to organize a magical mystery literary tour for your books, where would you suggest readers go? And I think you've probably done quite a bit of the following the World War I battle trail. So have you got a nice little guided tour that you suggest people should take? Ooh, I could put one together for you, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, uh, World War One took place in northern France. So there's, um, it's, and it's a place that many people don't, most people don't go to. 
But there's um, there's wonderful, uh, you know, towns and history. There's lots and lots of history there, beautiful museums and so on. And of course, there's there's um, many many um, exhibits and memorials dedicated to World War One. If you if you want to have a good cry sometime, you should. Um, you should go to uh, Ypres, which is in Belgium, and listen to um, the playing of the last post. Uh, and if you can hear it in my voice, I'm already getting emotional. The playing of the last post at Ypres is the most compelling thing I did, I think, when I was over there. Anyway, I'll stop that. But I would encourage uh, people to go to France. You made me You made me sort of get goosebumps <laughs> even hearing your voice talking about it. Oh, dear. <laughs> So France is my magical mystery tour, truly. Yes, I, yeah. I just love, um, I love being in France. I love the stories that are set in France, whether they're present day or historical. And um, it, that would definitely be where I would situate a magical mystery tour, Jenny. Sure, sure. Turning to Mary as a reader, because this podcast is also about binge reading and were books that people like to read as a series. Have you been a binge reader in the past? And if so, who are your favourites? Oh, favourites. This is such a difficult thing. I, I'll, I'll tell you a few um, authors that I did some binge reading of in the past. One of them was uh, Diana Gabaldone um, and her books, uh, which began her series, which began with Outlander. Uh, uh -huh. You may know that there's also um, a TV series based on Outlander at the moment. Yes. So I probably read three or four of her novels before um, before stopping. Another uh, another uh, author that I binge read um, who would be uh, sort of closer to home would be um, McCullough. Oh, why is her first name going? Colleen. Colleen, is it? Thank you, Colleen McCullough. So that's closer to home for you. Um, also, uh, Elizabeth Chadwick, um, Philippa Gregory, Mark oh, yes. George. These yeah. are these are all favorites of mine, and I read almost every book that they write. Uh, you know, I just come back to those authors time and again. Another one that I love, um, and she's a little more recent uh, to me anyway, is uh, Geraldine Brooks. I uh, don't know. Oh, if, yes. Yeah. Yes. Another Aussie. Yes. Yes. And then finally, because I would hate to leave out the men, um, Robert Harris would be one and also uh, Ken Follett would be another. So those are some of my favorites. That's right. I suppose at the moment, a lot of your reading would be non-fiction research, is it? Uh, yeah, I, it is. So right now I'm, I'm steeped in the history of Hong Kong, but last year I was steeped in the history of 1870s Paris, where there's a siege and a, a rebellion uprising, the, what they called the Commune. So, you know, different things I'm researching at different points in time, Jenny. Is the Commune going to be appearing in a book? Yes, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a book I've finished. It's called Acts of Rebellion. <clears throat> it's set in 1870s Paris, um, and it, it includes the Siege of Paris and the Paris Commune, and it's an amazing um, period of time and, and, and something that I don't think people know a lot about, but I found it fascinating. Great, great. Look, circling round 
from the beginning to the end. At this stage in your career, if you were doing it all over again, what, if anything, would you change? So I've only been writing full-time since 2009. So it's a little hard to say what would I change about that, and, and not not much, quite frankly. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled to be writing. It's just I love what I'm doing. Um, one of the things in terms of my writing career, one of the things I probably should have done um, earlier on is taken more formal courses on writing. So as it, uh, you know, as it turns out, I'm sort of self-taught. So I learn from each thing I write. I learn from um, the freelance editor I work with. I've taken a couple of courses, but I've learned from other novelists and, and that sort of thing. And I think a little bit more formal training would have been helpful in terms of getting me, getting me to the goal line a little bit faster. Uh huh. So have you self-published most of your work? I, I wasn't quite sure if you are working with an agent and a publisher or doing it to your, yourself. The first two, Unraveled and Lies Told in Silence, those are the two connected books, Jenny. I self-published both of those. The third novel, Time and Regret, which is the one that was conceived in En Fleur with my husband, um, it is published by Lake Union Publishing. And so I'm very excited about that. It came out in uh, 19, sorry, in 2016 in the in August, and it's it's sold quite successfully, at least as far as I'm I'm concerned it's sold quite successfully. Um, the one, and I now have an agent, so I'm absolutely delighted about that. And she is trying to secure a publisher for the fourth novel, the one that's set in 1870 Paris. Sure. So you've got that ideal which people talk about, the hybrid career. Yes, yes. Or the second career, Jenny. <laughs> so I'm not doing any consulting anymore, so <laughs> it's the second career. <laughs> What's next for M.K. Todd, the writer? You, you've blogged about your next book being set in Hong Kong and you mentioned it earlier in our chat. That's a departure for you. Is that historical as well? Well, that's interesting. Um, I started that as a contemporary novel. So my idea was an expat women, woman living in Hong Kong and, you know, how she copes and gets about and the people she meets and so on. I mean, I had a little bit more drama to it than that. Um, and I approached uh, Lake Union, who, who had published Time and Regret, I approached them with the idea. And they said, well, you know, send us a synopsis. So, so I sent them a synopsis. And they came back and they said, well, you know what? We'd really like to see... Um, a historical timeline woven into that. So what would you think about doing another dual timeline novel and, you know, in Hong Kong, but with some history? So now it has um, a, a, that dual timeline. So it's got partly set in 1912, partly set in 2015. And of course, a connection between the two storylines and another mystery. Surprise, surprise. Fantastic. That sounds great. I, I think that Hong Kong is a fascinating setting for, for stories. So I, I really look forward to seeing what you do with that. And having had the three years living there, you would have had a chance to get quite a sense of the place as well. Yes, exactly. So that was, that's a, then, you know what, it's a little bit like going home in, in my brain every day, time I sit down to write. It's really quite intriguing. Yeah, yeah. So coming to a conclusion, 
Where can people find you and your books online? All right. So my books, uh, you can find my books on Amazon. You can also find the self-published novels on um, the other electronic retailers. And you, you can get it in print on Amazon, but you can get it electronically on um, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google Google Books, you know, that those sorts of places. Uh-huh, uh, yep. And then uh, in terms of finding me, you can find me on Facebook uh, as Mary Todd, T-O-D-1-D, or as M.K. Todd. You can find me on Twitter. um, I'm at M.K. Todd Author on Twitter. And you can find me on my blog, which is called A Writer of History. Sure. Now, that Writer of History blog, I think it had, had quite an accolade. It was named one of the best websites for writers in the 2016 year. That must have been quite a thrill for you. It was a big, big thrill. One one of my nannies would have said I was chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was an amazing thrill. As a matter of fact, you know, when I got the email from them, I kind of thought it might be a scam because <laughs> I thought – what do you mean? Anyway, I'm, I'm very thrilled. And I've been at a couple of um, writers' conferences, historical fiction conferences, and people at the first one that I went to, people came up to me and said, oh, you're the survey lady, because I do surveys on my blog and publish the results and all this sort of jazz. So seems like I'm getting a little bit known out there amongst the uh, writing community, shall we say. Oh, that's lovely. That is part of the community that you, you say you so like, enjoy being part of. So that's great. Look, thanks. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, you're very, very welcome, Jenny. And it was really a thrill. I really enjoyed your questions. Thank you so much. We look forward to the Hong Kong book. Has it got a title yet? Um, right at the moment, I'm calling it Worlds Apart. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I have a list of about seven or eight other titles, so you never know, Jenny. <laughs> and when are you hoping for that one to see, uh, for people to be able to read it, to pub- publication? Um, I suspect because it's very, you know, what you have to do when you get published is you have to get on the list of upcoming books that a publisher has. Mm. And right now, right now, Lake Union has most of 2018 totally full. Yeah. Which is, which from my point of view is annoying, but you know, they have, they have a business to run. So there's a, there's a possibility it might squeak into 2018 if they accept it. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, my dear. Well, look, thank you very, very much for sharing your working life with us and your experiences with us. And we look forward to your future work. Oh, thanks so much, Jenny. It's been a pleasure. Really a real treat. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, 
cforcharlieaudioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.